I remember correctly, I had ended off our last time with the uh, what the Zoya says in terms of the English year 1240, which is equivalent to the Hebrew, the Hebrew year 5000. And I had mentioned that um, what the Zoya says about that is that the Old Mashiach, the Messianic light, will begin to come down as you want to say at that year and I mentioned I think I mentioned the whole concept of the creation calendar <clears throat> uh, I think I mentioned that <clears throat> and therefore the year 1240 which is the year 5000 is equivalent to the on the creation calendar uh, the 5000 which means five days of past to the sixth day which is Erev Shabbos and it makes sense because Erev Shabbos is Obviously, the beginning of the preparation for Shabbos. And so it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> what that means is very important, actually. It means, as I talked about a couple of lectures before, <clears throat> that the way we take the Orishan out of the Klippa, out of its prison, is through Amelis. That means by the year 5000, which is the year 1240, of Shabbos, which is really Thursday night at 6 o'clock, uh, if it's equal hours, night and day, uh, has been accomplished. In other words, the Orishan, that messianic light, is now beginning to rise from its keeper. It's beginning to rise from its concealment uh, at that point in time. That's a, obviously a historic moment because it's the beginning of the end of the uh, of the uh, imprisonment, so to speak, of that or of that incredible uh, enlightenment that uh, that people will have, and so on and so forth. Uh, and that's a very, very important idea. <clears throat> now, of course, the, the question, of course, is, sounds nice. Do we see this in history? Is this really what occurred? Uh, and that's obviously very critical because without true historical events, you know, it's just theory and so on. It's nice, but, you know, what proof do we have? Where do we see this in the actual historical record? And the truth is that we do very much. And this itself tells us a lot of very important ideas about what history is all about. Isn't that kind of was that? Yeah, well, I'm going to get into that. Yeah. Uh, the first thing, when the old, what is the Orishan? I had mentioned that, but in many ways you could think of the Orishan really as a magnifying glass. If you take a magnifying glass and you put it over something, you're able to see the thing in much greater depth you know, in much greater depth uh, and much smaller in terms of what's really going on down here. Uh, the Orishan is a magnifying glass in that sense. It's called a hesh a shefa or hashpah. It's a force that enables you to see any chokhmah in terms of its ultimate cause, its incredible uh, uh, internal structure. Uh, and... Uh, it enables you to understand reality down to its bottommost level, <clears throat> which is the concept of what causes this reality. Now, the Orishan, the Shefa, will be on anything, actually, that you put it into. In the year 1240, which is the year that uh, the Shefa comes down, um, something happened, which is interesting. <clears throat> now, remember one thing. 
when this oration comes down, it's not merely for the Jews. Because remember, the whole Bria has a concealed premius to it. It has a concealed internal structure, whether it be the spiritual universes, which Kabbalah talks about, or whether it be the physical sciences, the physical universe, which is what science talks about. They're all the handiwork of God, Maiseyotov, and so on. So therefore, the Orishan, once it becomes revealed, or begins to emerge, is really a revelation of any Chochmah, as we will see. That's a very important concept. It's not just for the Jews, for the Torah. It's also for anybody who studies uh, science. You know, the whole mankind's attempt to understand the, uh, the underpinnings of all human knowledge. The internal framework is certainly exact instruction, internal framework, whatever it is, we all know what it is. Um, so, for instance, you know, I'll give you an example. For instance, if you're studying biology, which is a science of life, different life forms, right? And you put the magnifying glass of the shefa, of the enormous force of the Orishman, you will immediately become aware of the ultimate causes of life. So you get down into what? Into molecular biology, right? Into DNA. You begin to see what is going on at the bottom level structure of physical reality. You know, there's five, there are five levels of reality in terms of the physical world. There's what's called the macro, that's the large universe. There's the micro. The micro is obviously something that you need a microscope to look at, <clears throat> but it's the small view of the universe. Then there's the nano. The nano universe is the universe slightly larger than atoms, whatever. That's one billionth of a meter. And the, the science is all about nano. Today, the, the big revolution in science is nanotechnology. What they can do with that is awesome. You just alter chemicals and anything you can alter at that level. Then below the nano is atomic, because the nano doesn't look lower basically than a molecule. But there's the atomic, which is the actual uh, ability to understand and view an atom. And then the fifth level is called the subatomic, where you're now into the subatomic particles, electrons and protons and neutrons and so on. Uh, but anyway, there are all these levels of reality. Who? Who? Cosmic. Cosmic is macro. And neutrinos are not subatomic? Uh, yeah, neutrinos are subatomic. What energy we have? That's before So what the origin enables a person to do <clears throat> So if he's into biology, he sees DNA, you know, the molecule of life, you know. If he's into physics, then he understands the whole concept of atoms and subatomic particles, and of course energy, different forms of energy, and so on, you know. If he's into astronomy, he's able to look out billions and billions of light years, which they now can do. Scientists now, or astronomers actually, have the ability to look uh, out into the universe I think it's. I think they're up to 12 billion light years. They hold that the whole universe is only 13.7 billion light years observable. old. Well, observable, of course, it has to be observable, you know. But they're able to see. And by the way, when you the further out you look, the more back in time it goes, because it, it takes a light wave. 
a light wave, uh, 106,000 miles a second or 300,000 meters per second, it takes a year for, to go from a star to us many years. In other words, there could be a star that's 100 light years away. A light year, well, you know what a light year is, right? It's a distance. A light year is not a time unit. It's a distance unit. The amount of time it takes light to travel in one year is a unit of measure. Which way? One light year is uh, 6 trillion miles. It's pretty fast, pretty far. But they can see already, so imagine 6 trillion, one light year. So if you're looking at a star which is 100 light years away, right, that's 100 times 6 trillion, right? So they can actually see, uh, in other words, we don't even know if that star still exists because we're looking at it 100 years later. What do we know what happened to it and so on, you know? So therefore, the further back you can see really means the further back in time you go. But anyway, my main idea is that the concept of a, a shefa or the Orishan is the ability to look in any chokhmah down to its bottommost level. It, it's the, it's the, it's the, what's called the totality of knowledge, almost, and so on. That started in 1240, basically. That means before that, <coughs> and I don't care whether it be Jews or Godim, doesn't make a difference. They had a limited vision of the Pimias, of the internal structure of the creation. It is the Shefa of the Orishim that enables science, Torah, to view the internal structure of reality. Now, in science, what was that? So we have Aristotle dominated science for 2,000 years. He was what's called an armchair scientist. You know, he would, he figures through logic, he can figure out uh, you know, what happens in, uh, in the world and so on, you know. But uh, there was a guy who lived in 1240, his name is Roger Bacon. And he is the one who started the scientific method. He broke away from Aristotle and he said, enough of this sitting business, you know, you have to experiment and so on. So you have a guy, Roger Bacon, in 1240, which is Mamish the year that the Orish begins to descend. He breaks away from Aristotle, which is really the beginning of the ability of man to perceive internal structures or the inner reality of everything. So his novelty was scientific methodology? What? His novelty was scientific His what? His novelty. Novelty, novelty yes. Was scientific methodology? Yes, but that was incredible advance. I mean, Aristotle held the world in his grip, and that's why the world never really moved much after Aristotle, you know, uh, for 2,000 years, um, a long time and so on. He broke away from that. And once you realize that if you want to know anything, you can't just think about it. You need to experiment with it. And that's when the beginning of science, when the world took off. And he lived in the year 1240, Roger Bacon. Interesting. Is this by accident? So that's in the scientific world. So the main thing they had to break away was from what? From what the scientific method was. Because that's what held them back for so many thousands of years. That's on the Goyish side, or on the secular side, I should say. On the Jewish side, what did we have? Well, the Zoya was discovered by Moshe de Leon in 1290 or 1292, whatever, which again is right after the year 1240. And what he did, the Zoya, is the classic or the main primary Kabbalistic text, which describes meta-universe. Uh, Kabbalah is nothing more than a study of the reality, right, that is the cause of the physical reality. It is the reality of God, so to speak. It's the way, you know, it's the spiritual forces that are behind the physical universe. 
And that was discovered right around then. So both in the Jewish sphere and in the uh, secular sphere, you had the beginning of the ability to look into tremendous chokhmah at a whole different level of understanding. Now, that's number two. But there was something else that began, which I, most people don't realize that, but it, it is clearly the concept of the Orishim. What does that mean? When you look at anything in Chochmah, <clears throat> there's two ideas about Chochmah. One, what is the subject matter? What's the material you're talking about? That's called the Chimer, the material. But the second aspect of Chochmah isn't just the material, it's the surah, the shape or the form of this material. You see, Chochmah is both. It's Chimer and surah. It is the material substance itself, the subject matter, and it is the structure or the ability to see that physical, those ideas in what's called structures. It's not, a, it's not a fragmented approach. It's the ability to organize and to connect all the dots between all the ideas that you know. Uh, most people don't realize, but that is critical because when you see things connected to its dots, that itself is an ability to give you further analysis because when you see the relationship between ideas, that itself can become a method of analysis. And I once told you that the human mind does two things. It analyzes, which means it breaks down something, and it synthesizes, it puts together things. Both aspects are the operations of the mind. Okay, that's how it achieves, it reaches its understanding. In fact, the only thing the human mind has to know about anything is two questions. What is it? What is this? And the answer to that is, one, what is the definition of this? What's its definition? A definition is a statement that describes the true nature of something. And the second thing you have to know about anything is called the hafchonis. What are the categorical distinctions or the attributes of this? That's analysis, you see. Then there's synthesis. That's the second question the mind wants to know is, to what is this connected? Or how does it relate to everything else? Those two questions are the fundamental uh, operations of the mind. Analysis and synthesis, you see. So science with the scientific method began to do that, to analyze things experimentally and also organizationally, synthesis. In Torah, the Chaymer was what? Uh, the Chaymer was Kabbalah, because that's what the Zoyar is. It's a revelation that Judaism is based on something much deeper, that's the Kabbalistic understanding of the Bria. You see, the spiritual forces that God uses to create everything and to run everything. Uh, but there was something else going on. That's Chaymer. What about Surah? Yes. What great, who lived at the time of 1240 that began a revolution in Surah to reshape the form of Torah into a different way of looking at it? And the answer is? Rambam. The Rambam, exactly. The Mishnah Torah was a revolution. Why? Not only because he provoked... What is the Rambam, really? Uh, the Rambam is really a presentation of the oral law, right? Uh, of which the Gemara brings down. It, it's a representation of the oral law. In other words, the Gemara talks about uh, problems, and the Rambam brings down the answers to all the problems. Except he left out the questions and the treatment process. All he does is give you the answers. But wait, what the Rambam did is not just give you a whole bunch of answers. You know, what he did is he organized the answers 
into a whole different way of looking. In other words, he changed the format of the Gemara. Because the Gemara, in many ways, is fragmented. And so on. And what he did is he decided, wait a minute, I'm not just going to give you just the answers that the Gemara brings down because of what are the problems of the old law, right? I'm going to change the tzura. I'm going to change the entire view or format into a magnificent structure. First time, that was never done before. You see, even the Rif, who abbreviated the Gemara, still brings the Gemara down in its natural form, except he just cut out a lot of the material of the Gemara. The Raman revamped the entire Gemara in that sense. That was revolutionary, you see. What is that? Why did the Raman do that? Or rather, under what force was he operating? Min HaShemayim to heaven. And the answer is the Orishan. That's right. Therefore, in the same year that the Orishan comes down, you have in secular science and you have in Judaism, Torah. Uh, and both things were introduced at that time. So therefore, that is really the manifestation of the Orishman beginning to come out of, if you remember, I mentioned the Kippah. It's beginning to come out of a force that restrains and constricts it and holds it back, the true revelation of reality, which is the Messianic light. And it begins to emerge no matter what you look at. If you look at physical knowledge, science, comes out then. And if you look at Torah, you have Kabbalah and the new form, Tzura, of the Rambam, how he organized the entire old law, both happened in the same year. Was that an accident? I don't think so. That's really the beginning of what the Zoya says, that the Messianic light began on that time. Very important. <clears throat> then we progress, but clearly, once the Messianic light begins to emerge, it emerges. It's on its way. You begin to see incredible development of what? Remember, Chaymer and Surah of reality. Okay? So let's move a little further. 12.40 is equivalent to Thursday morning, uh, excuse me, Thursday night at 6 p.m., right? And then we need to get to what's called further and further into night, right before dawn. <coughs> and there are two figures that lived that radically changed. You see? the whole idea of Omashiach as it begins to develop. Going to the secular first, right? There was a revolution again in thinking in science. Who was that? Uh, that was another guy, another Bacon, called Sir Francis Bacon. What he did his, he really promoted and revolutionized the whole concept of the scientific method. And a, a major contrib contribution of his is what's called induction. The ability to see a prop or a fragment and to generalize that fragment into a total or a, a, a picture. What's his name? Francis Bacon. Famous guy. I mean, famous to some people anyway. Induction, Induction yeah. Was yeah. No, he just realized that because what does science do? What does an experiment do? An experiment will will try to answer what's called hypothesis. A hypothesis is nothing more than some type of an explanation of some type of <coughs> phenomenon that you observe. That's all it is, right? So let's assume you do the experiment and you have an explanation. 
So hypothesis is something you would think about even before you get into the experiment. If it works consistently, then it becomes a theory. And if it always works, it becomes a law. That's, that's the, the, it's called the certainty of knowledge and so on. Uh, but what he said was hypothesis is really induction. You know, in other words, you, you assume the explanation on this phenomenon, but by induction, which means you go from the particular to the general, we can assume that all things will work that way in terms of the experiment you, you, you just did. So therefore, what you can now do is design new experiments that hopefully will be consistent with the one that you did. That's induction, because you're now trying to generalize your findings. You see? Incredible. He's the one who's machadish, the scientific method. He's the guy. Okay, so that's in the field of secular. Again, remember, the origin is not just information, number one. And it's not just the form of the information, tzura, number two. It's also the method of discovery. What is the method of analysis or synthesis that is used to find the information? That's almost as important as the information itself because that enables you to make incredible new discoveries again and again. Without the method, you can go home. You know, you're, you're incredibly limited to what you know and so on. But if you have the method, the way to do it, then you can find out, oh yeah, you can apply that method to anything, you see. So that's what Francis Bacon did. He was machadish on ba Roger Bacon, the incredible concept of method, of how to do that, which is uh, critical. So that's in the secular world. In the Jewish world, Torah world, well, you had the one, probably one of the greatest increases of esoteric knowledge, which is Kabbalah, ever known. The Ari? That's what the Ari did. What the Ari did is he took the Zoya, right, and he explained the Zoya, because the Zoya is really a medrash, but it's incredibly cryptic. You learn the Zoya, you don't know what it's talking about. You know, not everything about in Zoya is Kabbalah, because it's really a medrash called the medrash Rav Shimba It's really what the name of Zoya is. But what the Zoya really is, I mean, there are many parts of it, the Idris and so on, that are Kabbalistic. And, and meanwhile, what, like, what's it talking about? Why? Because the Kabbalah of the Zoya is cold. <coughs> it uses what he called Misholem, you know, and it's metaphors. So you don't really know what the metaphors refer to. But what's really hard is you, can't even, you, you cannot even expand on the metaphor. So along comes the Ari, and he expanded on the metaphor of the Zoya. He opened up the Kabbalah. That's what, these, uh, what the Ari did. And what looking at, and therefore that's another major advance in the Orishan. Right? It's, it's another advance. This isn't accidents. This is because the, as time goes on, right, and Klai Yisrael is contributing to this with the Amiris, then the Orishan is more and more released from its prison, you see. What was that? Oh, exactly. For the first time, right? although there were people who attempted to write a Shulchan Aruch. I mean, you had the Bahag, the Baal Hechaz Gedolos. He started that, you know. And then, of course, you had the Rambam, the Smag, and so on. But uh, the Beis Yosef, you know, and, and so on, he really opened up the whole world of Halacha. What he did is he took the Yisat Torah, the knowledge of the Torah, which is basically the Mishnahis and the Gemara and so on, and he said, okay, I want to apply it. But he organized it, and so on, into 1,705 simanum. By the way, the gematria of 1,705, uh, you know, is gematria Orachayim, Yerdea, Choshe Mishpot, and Evan Ezer.
So that, 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 that's scary. But anyway, uh, so that's the totality of Shulchan Aruch. But that was a, re- a reconstruction, a restructuring of the entire Diyasa into its application. Never, ne- it never happened before. And of course, wait, after him, then you had all the commentaries on him. You know, you had the Mishnabur, I mean, and then you had commentaries on Shach, Taz, and so on. But, but those are revolutionary ideas in what way? It's either in Choymer, material, right? Or it's in Tzura, in form. So you see, both of these things are emergent. Remember what the Orishan is. It has three components. One is the Choymer, the topics itself. The second thing is the Tzura. What form do these topics t- take? take? And that's the whole concept of structure and systems and so on. And the third aspect is method. What is the correct method to use to ultimately gain a perspective of all of this? Yeah? There's a conflict, I just had a thought, there's a conflict of non-religious people. Of who? Non-religious. Non-religious, yeah. Body and everything, so, but from um, Roger Bacon to, uh, who's the other Bacon? Oscar Francis. Francis Bacon. <coughs> Sir. Sir Francis Bacon. There seems to be some intellectual tangibility <coughs> to the method. Yeah. In other words, direct observation, etc. Et that, so that's a scientific method, exactly. Bring on the talk, which I believe, he believes here, when the Ari uh, advanced things, what was his foundation? He said, I have an input <coughs> nobody else has. Where did that come from? What was, I mean, what was his source? Yeah. And the answer is Eliyahu Navi. He says it himself. He learned, I, I hate to call it <coughs> Rusa. You know, Eliyahu. No, that's 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 a different question. Gili Eliyahu, how do you as a person experience it? So you know, um, it's interesting uh, because there's a Rav Chaim Vital wrote a sefer called Shari Kedusha, and in that he says that even though Nevoah is gone, real Ruach Hakodesh is gone, without going into what these things were, he said there are still ways to access heavenly information. You know, one of them is called Gili where you actually Eliyahu reveals himself. And he teaches you. Another is a magid. Ramallah comes down and uses your own throat, your own voice to talk. Another is chalimah, dreams. There are interesting ways of um, of accessing heavenly information. But the but the uh, the the knowledge revealed to the Ari was Gilealio. There's no. If you look at the Eitzchayim, most people don't. But if you, it is no way. In fact, one of the greatest. I always say one of the greatest proofs that the Eitzchayim, which is the the classic text on the Zoya, it has to be true. Because how could a man, it doesn't say this in the Zoya, where did he get it from? There's only one of three possibilities. Let's, let's call the exclusion. <coughs> Either the man was psychotic, and psychotics, but even psychotics can't produce an Eitzchayim. What is psychotic? You told me last week. What? What is psychotic last week? You told me last week. What is psychotic? Uh, somebody is devoid of who loses touch with reality. Oh, he loses reality. Yeah, it's uh, two ways. Either he he thinks that he uh, what's called hallucinatory, where he actually sees another reality, or his belief is distorted. That's paranoid. But anyway, so chas I mean, I mean, how does a person? Have you ever looked at the Eitz Chaim? Someday, right? Uh, the Kabbalah in the Eitz Chaim is beyond belief. The details are beyond belief. So the question is, how do you know this stuff? This stuff is not in the Zoya, although he shows how it comes from the Zoya, which is interesting. In other words, that thing is really this what I'm telling you. 
You know, it's because the Zoya is like what one line, and he's got a whole, you know, five prokem on this. You know, so how in the world did he come up with this stuff? So either he's psychotic, but the truth is, even psychosis can't produce something like an Eitzchayim. Why? Because psychotics, even though they can come up with imaginary details, there's no internal consistency in the imaginary details. There's no consistency. When you look at the Eitzchayim, it's a system. Even a psychotic can't make an Eitzchayim while he's crazy. So that's one possibility, and we knew that we know that the the Ari Chasvusham is not psychotic, obviously. The second thing is he's a liar. He just sat down and decided to write. Oh, he fabricated an entire system of of heavenly information. Everybody admits that the Ari was an unbelievable tzaddik. Or the third possibility, and it's true. What else is there? Because that could be true. Where did he get this from? And the answer is he writes is Gilelio. That's how we got the information, and so on. How but the main idea, that? what? Who? No, no, no. The, the eight, no the eight, the eight time itself. Well, the oh, start from the Kisweari. Yeah, you got to start from Kisweari. Uh, the the, the Kisweari, which is the writings of the Ari, right, was written by. Uh, um, Well, yeah, he wrote down the Kisviari, but the one who brought it out was um, whatever. There are two versions of the Kisviari, uh, and so on. But it's from Chaim Vital, who served, if you want to use that word, as a secretary. So he writes down. It has many, many volumes, whatever, eight Shorim, and so on. But the Eitz Chaim was not. The Eitz Chaim is uh, is a collection really of three different from. Uh, whatever it's called, the five hundred sheets of the Yoram and, uh, and the Movishoram and the Eitzchayim. Uh, but I don't want to get into the historiography of the Eitzchayim. The main idea is that the Ari revealed Kabbalah. It's awesome what he revealed. That is the um, that is the um, is the uh, is the uh, the development of the or, the, or, the origin. But in our side. Their side, they have Francis Bacon. Our side, we're the Ari. You see? It's incredible to watch the parallels of the incredible advance in Chochmah. Okay? Then we come, so that's in the 15th century. Actually, it's the 16th century. What? Two years after 1492. Yeah. Columbus. Yeah, well, that's... I'm not going into history, I'm going to the Chochm of the origin, because I want to show you today what's happening. <coughs> that's, what, that's my whole purpose in all this, so, you know. Then we have uh, 1740, which is equivalent to 5,500, which is equivalent to dawn of uh, Shabbos, Erev Shabbos. It's, uh, it's uh, 6 a.m., okay? And in that time, okay, again you had two, I would say, stars, you know, who really released incredible knowledge of the of the origin, both in the secular world and in the Torah world. It's like they're vying for each other. It's not really vying because the origin applies to all Chochmah that the Bershom created. It has nothing to do with science. Science is God's work, just you know, as much as Torah, except we're not commanded to study science. That's for the Goyim. We're commanded to study, study Torah because Torah... There's a reason why Torah is infinitely green in science, because Torah is not just a chokhmah, Torah is a trigger. You do a mitzvah, it releases an awe that changes the universe back into its original form, 
and allows God to reveal himself. Science does not do that, but science is the study of Chochmah, and so on. Uh, in any case, then two new stars appear. Again, in the secular world, the star is, of course, Sir Isaac Newton. And Newton, Newton changed science. You know, with his uh, Principia Mathematica, his uh, universal law of gravitation, the three laws of motion, and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, he changed. He changed the world of science. He is the father of modern modern science. Copernicus. He's after Copernicus. Yeah, Copernicus was, I think, in the 15th something. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, Copernicus, Copernicus was observational. You know, and Newton explained um, uh, and so on. But anyway, uh, so you had on the secular side Isaac Newton. In 17, he died in 1725, I think, but the, you're talking about right before the dawn, 1740 is 5,500, <coughs> is the dawn of Friday, the last day. So Newton changed everything, father of modern science. But I want to tell you something which most people do not know. Very interesting, uh, you, know, you know. Newton was a very religious man. Most people don't know that. Newton wrote more about religion than he did about science. Yeah. But I want to tell you something which is incredible. Uh, there's a whole article, Newton. Newton studied the Talmud. He held from the Gemara. He studied Gemara. You know, and not only that, he held, I think he even wrote books on, on Torah. He wasn't Jewish. No, he wasn't. No, not at all. But Newton studied Torah. There's a whole article which I once read which is astounding. So I forgot when they discovered, but they, they discovered a whole box filled with his documents, which they don't want to reveal. Yeah, why? Because it's all about Torah. He wrote books on Torah. He studied Gemara. He, he was fascinated with, with, with Torah studies. I mean, the world doesn't know this because Chas Vashon, Newton, you know, Newton uh, studying Talmud, uh, you know. Anyway, but he did, which is very interesting. But anyway, so you had Newton on the secular side. England. 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 Yeah, he was living in England, yeah. There was a Jewish friend that he had. I think I must have met that same article. You know who wrote the article? Mishpacha um, uh, uh, magazine comes out with it every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? That's where it was, yeah. It was amazing. What was the name? What's the, what do what, what they call um Kulmas. That's it. So years, several years ago, Kumitz wrote an article about Newton, mm-hmm. which is incredible to, to read yeah. uh, of what he did. But in any case, the main idea is that he's a father of modern science. So that's in the area of science. In our area of Torah, who lived at the same time as Newton? Ramchal. Lutzato. Same time, you know, um, uh, and, and so on. In fact, Ramchal was alive when Newton was alive. You know, I, I doubt they ever saw each other. But uh, Ramchal, and Ramchal, what Ramchal did was very interesting. Ramchal was not only, uh, he organized Kabbalah, which he did, you know, but Ramchal organized, presented what's called the, the Nimshel of the Kabbalah. David didn't do that. David no. The Just on the Mashal, exactly. But Ramchal, he, he wrote about the Nimshel, means the Kabbalistic code, so to speak. What does it represent? What is it really in our terms? And he wrote Svarim on that, on the Nimshal. In fact, the Hashkafa of the Ramchal is really the Nimshal of the Ari. That's really what it is. That's why it sounds so Kabbalistic. So if you ever really want to understand Kabbalah or understand the Nimshal, which is the analog of the actual Kabbalah, it's Ramchal. 
which is very important because what we see from Ramchal is Ramchal wasn't a Mokubal. He was a part of the transmission process of the Orishim. You see. So that's what Ramchal did. Yeah, in one of the Igras. But I want to tell you something interesting. Somebody once asked me, uh, Rosh Shiva, uh, I, I was once at a wedding. I'll tell you something interesting. I was once at a wedding, and uh, somebody was a Rosh Shiva, a big yeshiva, you know, and so on. So he's also in Ramchal. Uh, so we were schmoozing, and he said, he asked me a question. He says, he doesn't understand. Ramchal wrote a safe called Derech Hashem. Derech Hashem is Hashkofa. Okay. Obviously, the Hashkofa, as I told you now, it is the analog of the, of the Kabbalah. It's really what it is, but in very general terms. So he asked me, why does Ramchal wrote a Hagdoma, an introduction to the Sefer, that tells you all about logic, or how to think, how to learn, a method? What does method have to do with Hashkofa? That's what he asked me. You know, so I said, I'll tell you. And most people do not masik this. The Hashkofa of the Ramchal is the nimshul of the Kabbalah. It is the analog, it is the interpretation of the code, called the metaphors of Kabbalah, right? But I told you that the Orishan has three ideas to it. It has Chaymer, topics, right? It has Surah, the form, organization, but it also has method. Therefore, the Hagdoma, the Derech Hashem, is method. What he is telling you is really part of the Orishan. How do you discover ideas, how do you analyze and synthesize? And if you learn the introduction to the Sefer called The Way of God, which is Derek Hashem, you are stunned by his understanding of how to think. Yeah, you know, he questioned the Hagdoma. What's this doing with Ashkofa? Ashkofa is about, you know, uh, you know, Ashkofa, you know, Jewish philosophy, whatever and so on. What, what, what's what's a, a four-page analysis of how to think? Yeah, it's a good, you know, yeah. And the answer to that is because that's part of the Orishim, which Ramchal clearly knew what it's all about. So Ramchal writes Kabbalah, which is the Chomer, right? He writes Derech Hashem, which is the Nimshul, the analog of the Chomer. Then he writes all about method, and he wrote three Sfarm about method. One was the introduction to Derech Hashem, which, by the way, is the real method of Ramchal, contrary to what most people think, and they make a tremendous mistake. The second Sefi wrote is Derech Sefi Goim, the Book of Logic, which is how to think in detail. And then Derek Funis, which is really uh, how to learn Gemara, and this uh, subject called ontology. That's also Derek uh, in Sefi Goyim. But anyway, what's the Ramchal writing for my method for? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, Derek Chachma is, um, uh, is, um, is curriculum. What are you supposed to learn? Not how. You know, it's what, if a person wants to really serve the Rabbanu Shalom, what Chochmah should he learn? Like no, 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 no. And it, you should know, it's revolutionary. What he writes there, no yeshiva in the world does. Uh, it's very interesting, you know. Because he writes, uh, you know, what, what, what you're supposed to do and so on. What is the curriculum you're supposed to adapt? Is that where he says, spend it's, most by the way, it's been, what? Ultimately, he says, the greatest Chochmah of all, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, there's uh, the, the, the uh, he writes about the avoido, how to serve God, and there are many different aspects to the avoido. You know, one of it is called yidias lokus, knowledge of God. Then there's yidias hamitzvus, knowledge of the mitzvus. Okay. And then there's the tikkun amidus, the correct uh, character traits, right? So it's Kabbalah, Gimur, Musar. Who? Kabbalah, Gimur, Musar. 
Well, yeah, but, but in the end, what the Ramchal writes is that after you finish Shas and Poiskim and all that, you spend the rest of your days learning Kabbalah, because that's the greatest of all Torah, because it brings down the greatest amount of <coughs> divine energy. I don't, I don't want to get into all that, you so know, but that's their Chokmah. Yeah. No, 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 no. What the Ramchal did was incredible. He wrote about Hashkofa, which is the analog, analog to Kabbalah, Analyzing the interpretation, right? Then he wrote incredible Kabbalists from, and you know, and so on. And then he wrote Avoida, right? How to be an Oyved. Tikkun Amidus is part of the Avoida, mm-hmm. and that's Mesila Sichon. He wrote on every area you need to know to become an unbelievable Kodesh. <laughs> you see, most people don't realize that, and uh, and, and so on. But uh, in any case, so that's why the Ramchal writes about method, because method is part of the origin, which most people don't understand, you see. And if you ask yourself, what is the one word that describes the method of origin? Tferis, beauty. What the Ramchal doesn't want you is to walk away with a bunch of fragments in your mind, right? What he wants you to do is to know everything in terms of how it connects to everything else. Because if you think about it, the universe is an achtus, it's a unity of all information and knowledge. A unity always means structure or system. You see, that's what a unity means. And that's what the Bhagavad wants. And the reason why he gave everything period, because if you remember I told you, one of the manifestations of the Orishman, the Messianic light in the Klippa, which means under the force of Tumor, is fragmentation. That's what it is. So obviously if you release the Orishman, what happens? It becomes unfragmented. It becomes incredibly, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, everything is connected, and, 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 and therefore the Boshim wants Torah B'tzusat Ferris. He wants it known as a magnificent tapestry, you know, and, and so on. That, that, so therefore the Ramchal wrote... That's not dumb. That is what he writes there. Yeah. Everything is connected. Yeah. But now, now you understand what he's really doing. Uh, that is the Orishan. In fact, the ability to see Tferis, the name of the method really is called the Derech HaYichud, the way of unity, in thinking. That's really what it is. And that's why he writes it. I mean, most people, most, nobody, you're looking, what, what, what are you giving me logic here? You, you don't want to what, what are you starting off with logic? You know? So they say because he wanted to, he wanted to write about Ashkofa in a logical manner. So he's got to introduce you to the ideas of logic. But not really. He's telling you the Derech HaYichud, and so on. But anyway, so those are the two characters that are opposite each other, in a certain sense. The Orishan in science is Sir Isaac Newton, and the Orishan in Torah, in Kabbalah, and all Hashkofa is the Ramchal. They and they lived at the same, same time. They lived at the same no, time. They do the same thing. The Ramchal didn't expand on Marshall. The Ramchal wrote down the nimshal of the Marshall. Sure he expands the Marshall. Klach. It's all Marshall. He wrote that, he said the Nimshal. No, no, but it's also... No, but Adim it's all Marshall. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's not just... It's, it's also the Pischei Sha'orim. Yeah. I mean, there's an enormous amount. The Klach, the Pischei, there's a wealth of stuff that's just Marshall. Well, you know? Yeah, I mean, God, that Zoya Tignano. A second Zoya he wrote. Ramchal wrote a whole Zoya. We only have a couple, I don't know, uh, some pages. I mean, it, it, the man was amazing. He died at 40 years old, you know. Uh, just, he was an amazing person that was able to write. But anyway, I'm, what I'm trying to show you is the development of this Orishman. You actually see it. 
And both of them live at the time of what? 1740, which is Amra Shachar of the, uh, the world. Okay, let's move on. Right? What's the next stage in the development? And the, 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 that stage is incredible. You know, what I'm trying to show you is that there is no such thing as science without Orishan. They think it's the Chochmah, the Briah. No, that's the Orishan that's given to Goyim, right? And that turns into science because that's what they want to study. They put the magnifying glass on that Chochmah. In Judaism, in Torah, it's Kabbalah, right? And Hashkofa and so on. And the ability to retransform you know, fragmented ideas and so on, or disorder the material into beautiful ideas. It's the same organization just projected at different levels. Of yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. But it's the same force. That would most people do not, they don't say what science is. Science is the force of the origin, but applied to the physical universe. That's all. Which is a... Incredible ideas. Oh, I'm up to the next step. What? Yeah, yeah. There were three people that lived at the same time, and they all suffered terrible persecution, redifus, of uh, for other Jews. And there's a whole reason for that, and so on. One was the the Yonis uh, tremendous makubel, and he suffered. You know, of Yaakov Emden, get that that machlekes, you know. And that was, again, uh, the early 18th century, 1710, 1720. The second one who suffered terrible with Tifus is, of course, the Baal Shem Tov, right? And the third one, of course, is the Ramchal. They said all three suffered tremendous amount of uh, persecution, unfortunately, at the hand of Jews, because of Shabzai Tzvi. Anyway. 1746 a.m. Friday, you're saying? Who? 1740s, equivalent to 6 a.m. Correct, yes. It's 5,500. What's the next? Well, the next one is called, basically, Nets. It's Friday sunrise, basically. When, what year is that? 1840. Yeah, it's 79, but, you know, it's, it's basically, what, 1840. Now, interesting, 1840 is a very interesting year. There's a Zoya that says the following, that it says in the Torah, in the 600th year of the life of Noach, Okay, in the Torah it says what will happen in 600, that's when the marvel happened. So the windows of heaven were open and the great abyss also opened and water poured forth. Okay, what, what the really, water came down from the heaven, it poured forth and of course it flooded the earth and that was the marvel. Fine. What is this water? I don't want to the whole thing, but that water is really the origin. Because what the Russian wanted is that in ten, Noach was in 10 generations after the Odomarishim. So he wanted in those ten generations that everybody should rectify or correct the damage that was done to the ten spheres and so on. So therefore what should have come out is the Orishim, okay, it should have come out and flooded the planet. The messianic light. Instead it didn't because they were, obviously they did terrible sins. So the water was changed into its spiritual analog which is or Torah, excuse me, water. Water is the physical analog, is the mushroom, so to speak, of Torah, for many reasons, and so on, okay. And therefore it drowned everybody. What should have been uh, a tremendous uh, uh, explosion in the Chochmah became instead a death-dealing device. It was a flood, okay? That's the reverse. Ramchal says this. In any case, uh, so the Zoya says, it, very interesting, it says, 
It says in the it's, when did this happen? In the 600th year of the six uh, 600th year of the uh, sixth millennium, which is 5,600, which is the English year 18. What's that? Who's that again? Zoya. In the 5,600, right, which is the 600th year of the sixth millennium, which is 5,600, the Zoya said that will be repeated. Again, but as what? Not as a flood. Right, but as an incredible, what's called hispashtus chokhmah, an unbelievable explosion of knowledge and wisdom. That is the origin again. So that's a major time period of an incredible explosion of this chokhmah. What happened in eighteen? So now, so the koshnitz Samagat says the following. The koshnitz Samagat says this: that if klayis with if they will merit. They will get this ore, but obviously that ore will be in their Torah, right? A tremendous explosion of knowledge and information. But if we're not Zoycha, the Koshin Samagit says, it will go to the Goyim, which is science. Chochmah, right? It, doesn't, it, go, it goes that way. Well, what happened in 1840? Industrial Revolution. Industrial Revolution. It changed the world, because now it was no more so much agriculture. It became machines factories. The world changed because of the Industrial Revolution. But it wasn't, only a re, it wasn't only a revolution in technology, which basically Industrial Revolution really is. It was the ability to use science uh, in practical ways. That's technology. Uh, science changed. Why? Take a look. Who lived then? One. Michael Faraday, one of the tremendously great scientists, you know, who discovered the whole concept of induction, electrical induction, the electric motor. Tremendous person. And he, and he revolutionized the whole concept of electricity and so on. Then you had uh, Maxwell, who revolutionized, who organized the entire uh, electromagnetic spectrum, that light is really part of x-rays and so on. He revolutionized the whole concept of energy, and then, of course, you had what? You had Einstein, right? And that developed into quantum physics, quantum mechanics. This is revolutionary stuff. And, of course, the whole radioactivity was discovered in 1890 by back around. I mean, it's such a joke because in 1890, scientists said to themselves, well, we got everything figured out. Only thing is missing is some details. As I say, ha, ha. All of a sudden, some guy takes a piece of rock, puts it on a film by accident. Uh, you know, undeveloped film, puts it away, opens it up, and takes a look at the film, and it's it's got a whole white blotch on it. And he said, "What was it? It's got to be this rock. That rock was uranium." So the whole radioactivity it opened up the whole world of subatomic particles and so on. Then you had quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and so on. And then you had relativity through Einstein. It, it, the world has never been the same. Since the 1840s, that's the Spashtas Chochmah. Was the Kojinist correct? He was correct. Well, what did we get? Quantum physics, the opposite of the rules of the hand. Isn't that what is it? No, quantum physics is a, uh, it, it's a whole understanding of what energy and, energy and matter really is and so on and so forth. How it changes and so on is a... Yeah. I bet they found the common 
thread between relativity and quantum. That yeah, string theory. See, string you theory. Yeah, it's like, I, I, it's ah, string theory. Anyway, wait, 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 wait. I, I don't get, you know, you know. So the question is, what did we get? Yeah, I mean, they got a revolution which is unheard of in mankind's history, which is the whole field of science opened up. We should be getting jealous. What? We should be getting jealous at this point. We should be getting what? Jealous. 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 We got Tanya. We got what? We got Tanya. Say for Tanya. No, Tanya is in seventeen something. No, no, it's not Tanya. <laughs> Only Chabad will come up with something like that. No, I mean, Tanya is Kabbalah. I mean, we already had that, you know. And in fact, Tanya itself is intermediate Kabbalah. The real Kabbalah is Yitzhak. Yeah, but whatever. I don't get into that, you know. What we get? Well, we didn't get much. We didn't get much. Wait, what? I hope I'm on track. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not up to that yet. I'm. I'm, I'm stuck at 1880, 1890. So Gotta wait. Oh, so what did we get? That's the question. So we got is very interesting, you know, because the question always does a lot Except the question is right. We lost out, basically, you know. So what we got, basically, okay, is, I, I, this is my, my theory, okay, uh, is a, a, a different way of learning, a very analytical way of thinking. We got a change in the tzura, not so much the choymer, okay? What's the tzura of Chaim? Of Chaim Brisk. Believe it or not. He was in 18, he was in the late 1890s. So was this, so was science, yeah. From 1840 and on. That's when all the revolutions took place. 1850, 60, 70, 80, 90. Yeah, but it's, it was involved with the which yeah. was early. Sure, yeah. But anyway, so we got, uh, you know, I, I tend to think it's Reb Chaim, so, and which revolutionized the whole Jewish world. I mean, you know, everybody's dying to get into brisk, you know, whatever. Comment on that. But anyway, the main idea is that it's a different way of thinking, you know. Uh, you know, one can analyze uh, what exactly uh, it is and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, it's an analytical method, and so on, and um, that's akin to the scientific method, you know, and so on and so forth, you know. And uh, I mean, I, I, what I actually should tell you, what, what's the definition of the briskaderich? Nobody, nobody really knows. It's interesting. Okay, it's called the brisket guys, and they can't define it. They can only give you a product, but they don't understand the process, generically or generally. But what it simply is, I would define the briskaderich as, and then you'll see why it's so similar to science. What was that? No, 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 no. You know, you know, what, no, no. You got to be precise. It goes to the macaw. What does that mean? It goes to the derivation. It gets away from all the, it gets to the I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Let me define it. You tell me if you agree. How's that? Okay. So what I would say is this: uh, the brisket derech is an analytical method. It's a method of analysis that recognizes. For instance, that many things they look as they look as if it's one thing, but really it has afchonus. It has tremendous amount of categorical conceptual distinctions, and because they recognize that, 
that a halach itself can have many different distinctions, then you can answer many, many different questions. For instance, if there's a machlekes rishonim, right? Machlo argument rishonim, right? So immediately you say, wait a minute, they're not arguing the halacha; they're arguing only one facet of the halacha, because you've divided the whole halacha into different facets and so on. You see, so they analyze, they break down any given idea, halacha, whatever, into many, many different. Uh, what's called uh, conceptual distinctions or categories or attributes, and as a result of that, many things become answered. You see, so that, that that's how Brisk is able to do their product. You know, you can illustrate that in many, many, many different ways. That's what they mean by it. It's an A or B, A or B. What does it mean? Either it's a category A or category B, or in the same category, you could look at it one of two ways: A or B in the same category. It's the ability to be mafchin, to distinction on concepts. That's brisk. And that's really science. Because science is the same thing. They look at a phenomenon and they say, okay, what, what exactly is it? Which attribute is it? Now, what they do, they study the properties of whatever it is. And so you can say, if you want to use scientific talk to brisk, what are the properties of a halacha? You see, for instance, let's take this table, right? What are the properties? First of all, what is a table? What is the definition? Then what are its properties? Okay, well, it has, it has what? substance, it has weight, it has shape, it has function, it has many different properties, you see? And what Brist does, it looks at the different properties or the hafchonis of any given halachom and is able to generate enormous amount of understandings as a result. Scientific method. Uh, but the problem, in a certain sense, there is a problem with Brist because it only limits itself to analysis, which is putting, you know, looking at fragments into many, many different separations. Really, you have to do synthesis. Risk does not put things together into a beautiful picture. <coughs> they don't do that. Anyway, that's going that because it's only partial origin. In any case, so therefore, this seems to be the trade-off of what's happening in terms of the release of the origin itself and so on, you know. In any case, <clears throat> today, what's happening today? Today is astounding what's going on. Okay. The next Kufa after 1890, 1910, and so on, is what? Is 1990. Right? We already went from Chatzot, not Chatzot, we went from Amun Shacha, which is, right, dawn. We went into Netzachama, right, of the, seven, of the last day, right? Now let's jump to Chatzot. Midday. Wow. Midday. Right? The sun is going to set, never to rise again. Right? It's incredible. After Chatzos on Friday, that's when we begin to think of Erev Shabbos. And we are now in that Kufa, in that time period. And that has enormous results. So here's what's happening. On September 1989, Rosh Hashanah, right? That was Chatzos. Midday, 12 o'clock noon on Friday. Okay? Bingo, as they say. All of a sudden, the whole world turned topsy-turvy. If you ask yourself, what has happened since 1990? You can't believe what has happened and the acceleration of these events. I mean, it's just incredible. What? Wait. Ah. Wait. Okay, what has been happening? First of all... Yeah, I know. And Berlin will collapse too. 
Exactly. Communism is dead a year later, right? Then the World Trade Center. All this is from 1990 and on, right? It's astounding. Civilization has changed radically and so on. But anyway, I'm, I want to get just, I'm talking about the, the uh, origin and so on. What has happened? One is that <clears throat> in Chatzois, which is Friday midday, the amount of Orishan is coming down in unbelievable intensity because we're right next to Shabbos. You see? <coughs> Do you have any idea what's going on in the world of science? And I'm going to examine that part, right? What's going on in the world of science? Okay? I'll tell you. Every day, and this, this information is old information already. This I've been saying since 1990. Okay, so it's much, much more than it was then, but I'll tell you what was then, right? In 1990, or in the, uh, the 90s and so on, uh, every day, what's the frontier of information? Right? It's journal articles. A journal article reveals information that's what's called the cutting edge. Right? That's where you get cutting edge stuff, right? Every day, 7,500 articles are published daily. 7,000 500 articles are published every day around the world in science or in Chokhmah. That's number one. At that rate, the sum total of human knowledge doubles every five and a half years. It's astounding. So before it was different Before what? Before that. Before that. Which much slower. Yeah, in the 80s, of course, you know. I mean, just think about the explosions, uh, you know. Uh, in the, uh, let me just go slow, you know. So at that rate, the sum total of human knowledge doubles every five and a half years. That means, imagine looking at the Library of Congress, and then five and a half years later, there's another building standing there. And then five and a half years later, there's another building standing there. And there are millions and millions of volumes in the Library of Congress, right? And this is what's happening. And this information, what I'm saying now, is really dated. I've been saying this since 1990, 1992. Today, 2016, it's beyond belief, the amount. I mean, think about this, you know. Nine out of every ten scientists who ever lived, live today. You see? They live today because most of the chedushim, most of science is today, you know. Not only that, there wasn't much of a difference between a guy who lived in 1840, uh, you know, CE, and a guy who lived in 1840 BCE. What was the difference? Yeah, maybe different <coughs> clothing. But if you compare a guy who lived in what? In 1840 to a guy who lives in 2016? I forget about it. There is no way to compare them. It's incredible. Have you ever took a guy who lived in like in the, you know 1840 and you brought him into today's time? He'd have a heart attack. He could never assimilate what's going on. So what you see is the acceleration of human knowledge is beyond belief. It never happened in all human history. This acceleration and proliferation of information has never happened before. Why? They don't know why, but you know why. Because as you get closer to the Shabbos, the Mashiach, the Orishan comes down in greater intensity, doesn't it? And this is what you're looking at. The intensity of the Or Mashiach manifested in secular knowledge is science and everything else, you see. And that's why, so you, you have this concept of the doubling of knowledge, the difference between somebody who lived in 1840 and somebody who lives uh, now, it's it's beyond it's it's just beyond belief. You know, you walk into a store, 
you know, in one year, and you will come back the next year, half the items are different. You ever, you ever notice? You don't even know what half the items are. Just different electronic gadgets or, or what's going on here, you know? You know, the learning curves on each of these things is beyond belief. Yeah, to just to, to learn how to use these devices is incredible. Look, you remember the old cassettes? You know, and before that you had, what do you call those, the, the V8s? You know, or the, remember the reel-to-reel tape recorders? I mean, these are ancient devices. You see? Nobody thinks about that. Yet I remember, you know, but in, in, you know, just a couple of years ago, you know, 1965, you had reel-to-reel tape recorders. And then you had uh, cassettes, cassettes. You don't even have CDs anymore. It's all flash drives. I mean, you cannot keep up. And not just in electronic, then in medicine. You know, MRIs and... and, and what? That's also past tense. What, what's that? What's no? What? What? No, now it's all digital. Now you just, you just email the guy, a link. You know, you, it makes your head spin. You, you can't even keep up with this stuff, you see. Wait. I mean, CAT scans, MRIs, PET scans. I mean, this, this is unheard of. Do you speak of the ability another camera, what? Nano yeah, now cameras that put into your body a little, little, you know, there's a little camera that can float right to your whole system and so on. I, it, it's you should know, it's all science fiction. We live in an era of science fiction that has become reality. It's just astounding, you know. But what is this? This is the Orishan coming down in unbelievable intensity because we are right next to the Messianic era. That's what this is. Most people don't realize that. You see. So this is what's happening. You see. Well, is it possible that because of the advances in science and things like quantum physics and on the other end in, in um, astrophysics and things like that, they were approaching the interface between Teva and, and spirituality? Meaning so that the Orishan could probably come in and say... This is the connection between the two. Well, that's later we on. Pre- I'm saying, are we preparing for that? No. <clears throat> Not only that, uh, so that's 12 o'clock, which is September 1989, <clears throat> and the world has changed radically since then. Just think about it, you know, the internet, wireless, electronics, medicine, physics, engineering. It's like a, a, it's, it's literally another universe that we are in. And the answer to that is because that is the Orishan coming down with incredible intensity because we are right next to the release <coughs> of the Orishan. Okay? Everybody got that? <coughs> um, not only that, we are now, right now it's 2016. So September 1989 <coughs> was Chatzois, uh, right? But we are Katsuyis because we're 2016. We are what's called Sheish Vachetzi. Now, Sheish Vachetzi means six hours of the day, which is 12.30. Sheish is till 12, from 6 a.m. to 12 or six hours, and a half hour. In order to dab mincha, you have to wait till six and a half hours, not, not I mean, 12.30. Why? Because you have to see the sun. The shadow begins to incline. We are past 12 o'clock. We are 12.30. In fact, we are past 12.30. We are approximately 12.40. Okay? We are 12.40. That means we are right next to the Mashiach. Where do you see this? Because there's a Pasuk that says, Le'es Erev Yehye Or. It's a Pasuk in the Novi. 
Le'es Erev, at the time of evening, year old, there will be light. That's the Omer Shiach, okay? When does Erev start? It starts 12.30. It's called Beinu Arbayim. So we are in a time that the Or is coming down with such incredible intensity. Le'es Erev, year Or. It's mamish what we're in. We are in, I think, 12.40, if you have to look at it, at the, the creation calendar and so on, you see. Okay. And so that's what's happening in the world of science, which is the all region coming down. What's happening in the Jewish world, which is interesting. What's happening? Well, I want to show you something. Why has this been happening like this for a thousand, for, since 12.40? Because the Bonsham has to prepare the world for the ore. But what he's doing is preparing the Goyim first. Take a look. From Aristotle all the way till 1240, that was what's called an arithmetic progression. It's called an arithmetic progression of Chokhmah. Okay? Arithmetic means, let's say it's 5 plus 5. Then from 1240 until Newton, it wasn't arithmetic anymore was called geometric, right? It's not 5 plus 5, it's 5 times 5. And then from Newton and on, and certainly in our time, it's called exponential, 5 to the power of 5. You notice what's going on? Why? Because the aura is coming down faster and faster in greater intensity, but the main concept you have to take away with you is hachana. The Bonsham has to prepare the world for an onslaught of Chokhmah that is beyond comprehension. So since the Orishan is coming down slowly, it prepares the Goyesha world for this incredible, incredible idea. <clears throat> but it's more than that. Because in the, in the 60s, all of a sudden the world had a, a certain idea called the New Age. Remember New Age? New Age is all kinds of spiritual and crystals and all that. You know, all of a sudden the Bersham wanted the world to think more of spirituality, you know. And it's not only just New Age, you know. There are many spiritual themes in Hollywood. Hollywood makes many movies that are messianic in nature, you see. So therefore when the world, when the Mashiach does arrive, a guy can say, oh, I remember that movie, you see. That's exactly what I saw now, you know. The, the, uh, there's, a, there's a concept of, you know, of, of the force. It can either be positive or negative. Well, that, that sounds like Kedusha. It's either Kedusha or it's Tumah. It's a force. Both are unique from the Kedusha. There's one force, and it can either be pure or impure. Wow, that's a Kabbalistic concept. And movies is, has become tremendously involved with messianic themes. You know, there's good versus evil, you know, and the evil's trying to destroy the whole world, and all of a sudden some hero gets up and he saves the world. That's messianic. That's redemption. You see? Redemption. And oh, the speaking about the matrix. The matrix, yeah. Oh, that's the proof, you see? Because they can now refer to all these Kabbalistic concepts through Hollywood. And of course, why Hollywood? Because Hollywood's movies spread throughout the entire world. Uh, you don't realize, every day, so what the bunch I'm doing is it, it's not comical, but it, it's extraordinary. The bunch is using tumor. You don't realize that, because it, it says, umiyitein toho mitome. That's a paraduma. Who can take out Tahara from Tumah? So what the Barsham is doing is he's using secular information, entertainment industry, to promote messianic <coughs> ideas. He's using the Tumah 
to promote Kabbalistic and Messianic ideas so the whole world should be prepared when the Mashiach comes. You see? And that's what it means in Eov it says, and who is he who can take out Tahara from Tumor? But that, that, so the Tumor is all this stuff going on in the Hollywood and all the entertainment and so on and so forth. But the Tahara of it all is that people get used to the idea of Kabbalistic ideas. Redemption, Messiah, evil versus good, the end of time, you know, and there's going to be enlightenment and an awe. It, it sounds like movies. So they're ready what? That Wait. I'm focusing now on them. Right? So therefore, this is what's going on. So already you had in the 1960s, you see, uh, all, all, all of a sudden there was a bent, there was a bent toward uh, New Age. And New Age is spiritual. Ah, of course, it's a lot of it's ridiculous and so on, you know. But it's a beginning of a spiritual awakening of the world. You see, and then of course you have Kabbalah. You have, I don't want to mention their names, we all know who they are. You know, all of a sudden they're translating Zoyahs and they're, and they're selling Zohar water and all this kind of stuff, or spiritual waters, Kabbalistic waters, and so on and so forth. You know, but I want to tell you something. In many ways, you can, uh, it's not a theme. It's like all of a sudden the Bershom comes over to the Sultan and he says, okay, it's time for the Orishan to come down. So the Sultan said, excuse me, they're not worthy of this. So Bershom, listen to me. It's got to come down because this is the timetable. The Jews, whatever, they're suffering and Armenists and all that. It's got to happen now. But okay, your, uh, in order to prevent your kitrugim, your prosecutions, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will let the Tumor take the Zoya and the Kabbalah first. You see? So the great chance is that, you know, all the Hollywood stars will get into this stuff, right? Into the Tumor and the Zoya and, and then Kabbalah and all that. You know, I don't want to mention the Hollywood stars whatever, and so on and so forth. It goes Hollywood, right? And all of a sudden, the, 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 the Sutton says, okay, fine. As long as it goes to my guys first, because what I'm hoping is that the religious, the Haredi world will be so disgusted by what's happening with Kabbalah that they'll reject it. They won't even bother learning it. You see? So that's called Shechad al-Sutton. The Sutton placates the Sutton so he should not makatre because he created the Sutton to do what? To have, um, he created the Sutton to, uh, to be Makatrik, to defend justice and so on. Well, that's the whole, no, he, of course, it's, that's the concept of Tumor. When Tumor takes over Kedusha, it rips it to shreds. But at least they know Kabbalah. Now, everybody heard, well, all of a sudden, the Zoya, oh, everybody heard the Zoya, because we heard it on TV. They had a whole article about Zoya. Right? Oh, we heard about the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the what, what? What? They talk about how it changed their life. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the conceptually ready for the next time. Oh, exactly. So when the tumor is removed, they will have a bedrock of, of Hashkofa, Kabbalistic concepts, because the tumor will be removed. That's really the whole, the secret of who takes out Tahara from tumor. That's the concept of the Paraduma. The Paraduma itself leads, even though uh, it will make somebody Tomei, the one who sprinkles on will make become tall. Anyway, uh, so that's, you, you see the beginning of the preparation of spiritual enlightenment of the world. You know, and this happened in the 60s. The introduction of Kabbalah. Now you walk into any bookstore and there's a section of Kabbalah. Actually, it's a section of New Age, but there's Kabbalistic works in that section. Uh, that's unheard of. What? Yeah, check out. Go to Barnes and Noble. Ask uh, anybody. I want to. I like to. I like to learn Kabbalah. 
You got anything? He'll open up the, you know, the, the books. They'll say, yeah, we got a whole list of stuff. Kabbalah, you know. Kabbalah for the layman. And then there's even, there's even Kabbalah for dummies. <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> you know, obviously, the, the Kabbalah is, is, you know, is, is, I hate to use the word hot, because that's, uh, you know. But Kabbalah is hot in many, many fields. We don't even realize it. How many goyim are looking into this stuff? Because Kabbalah is spiritual, and they want to have some shaykhs to spirituality. The whole problem is whole field of Tumor, and so on and so forth. Anyway, but that's the shaykh of the Sultan. That's how you can appease the Sultan, so he won't prosecute, and Kabbalah can come down. Be, Very important concept. What? Oh, now what's happening with us? Wait. What are you saying? Yeah, well, what, what, it, no, this is why. Because the Bosham is preparing the world for in, in spiritual enlightenment, for Kabbalah. And he's using Hollywood to do it. They have no idea they're promoting from kind. I mean, they've, they're promoting spirituality. Of course, it's mixed with Tumor. Because that's what they're going to do. But that was to placate the Sultan. But they are the bringers, the, you know, the, the agents to prepare the world for an, uh, an understanding that there's an entire spiritual reality ahead, you see. And that's the theme of many Hollywood movies. What? Yeah, whatever. Sounds like double talk. But anyway, what's happening in the Jewish world? Well, the same thing has to happen. We also have to have a hachona for Kabbalah or hachona for the Omashiach. You see? So what's happening? Certain very interesting things are happening. The Torah, the Torah is rising from the Kippah. We see that. So all of a sudden there are many things that are happening and people don't realize that, you know. <clears throat> I told you that a manifestation of Kippah on Torah is incredible fragmentation. It's disorganized, it's fragmented, it's unsequenced, and it's deficient, you see. But we have been witness to a revolution. All of a sudden, Gemaras are being written in a different way. Let's take Art Scroll. You know, I mean, what I'm about to say is an incredible advertisement for Art Scroll. But as far as I'm concerned, they have no concept, or Masifta, yeah, any of these new Gemaras. So for the first time in history, the Gemara is now fully explained fully, you know, um, and not only, first of all, it's translated to English, number one, so there's no foreign language anymore. Number two, all the unstated thinking, because Gemara is really a notebook, every third word is missing, all of that is now inserted into the Gemara. It's a full composition. Not only that, Gemara has no background information, basically. They give you all the background information on the bottom. And not only that, there's a lot of note, note needs, a lot of notes of Rishonim Achreinim, right? And that's also brought down. And then you take a look at Masifta, you know, today a guy, doesn't need, a guy can be a Rashiva just by learning Masifta. He does not do anything. He just learns, because all the information is there. The legwork, it's all there. And it's explained, and it's regurgitated and digested for you. You know, it's like handed, okay, you still have to work at it, right? Yeah, after all, right? You know, but it, it, it's all there. Like, this is unheard of. Art scroll, Masifta, or other stuff, and, and so on and so forth. Why? So people think, well, you know, Modern. No, because this means the Torah is coming out of the Klippa. 
It's rising. You see, the whole concept when the Torah in the Klippa is that it's written in a form, Gemara, for instance, or Mishnayis, that is deficient in information, because Rebbe wrote an intermediary book, right? That is missing an enormous amount of information. Not only that, it's unsequenced. You see, that which is more difficult than the ideas, the first Mishnah, and the easier ideas are the last Mishnah. I can't even illustrate all this. This is so much. And then it's brief. Tremendous amount of material is missing, and so on. Oh, and then you have topics which are in one place, and then the topic which should have been next to it is found five prokem later. That's called disorganized. This is the way Torah has been presented. But that's in the tzur of the klipa. But Torah is rising now. Out of that klipa. It's now, through art school, it's the Gemara in, in many ways. It's another book. It's another sefer. Which, what do you think Daf Yomi took off? Because of art scroll. You know, how many guys were learning a daf a day, a blot a day? Well, we have a couple hundred people, thousand people. That is, hundreds of thousands of people are learning a daf yoimim because of art scroll. Because now it's an it's understandable text, you see? And Masifta, the same idea. And then art scroll, of course, has been written into Hebrew. So now the whole Israel can learn it. And now, of course, it's being written into French. It's like, what is this? I want to tell you something. None of this could ever have happened. Art scroll, Masifta, none of these uh, publishing events could never have happened if the Torah was still in the Klippa. You don't realize that. It's because the Torah is rising from the Klippa that all of this has been given permission that the Gemara now could be changed into a full composition, right? And it's, the legwork is all in the sifter, and it's, uh, it's astounding what today. Like I say, a guy can be a Roshiva just on the sifter. He, all the information is there, you see. This never happened. In the old days, you learned the Gemara in its regular form. You know, it was brief, it was, uh, it was uh, a notebook and so on and so forth. And if you had, a, you had to do incredible legwork, you had to do 18 Mephoshim to find out what Peshat in the Gemara is. Today, it's all in the sifter in the back of the Gemara. And it's also in Hebrew. It's, it's like it's like it's what's called on a silver platter. Okay, you still have to work. You know, you have to think about it. I'm not saying no. So I'm made, it's a summer mail. It's required labor, right? But basically, it's a silver platter. You know, if they had this uh, when Ravashi wrote it, right? Be a different Gemara. Christ would be different if the Gemara had been written this way. Believe me, we would have a different Jewish people, and we wouldn't have so many arguments and fakes and doubts because everything would be there. But anyway, without getting into that, uh, so therefore, this is the, so therefore the Torah coming out of Klippa, which is the beginning of the Orishim, is happening now. This is what it is. You see, I can just see it now, right? Article will advertise, you know, come and experience the Orishim, mm-hmm. even before the Mashiach arrives. What? Yeah, but it's not only Gemara. Mishnais has changed. You know, I get a kick out of fact. You ever go into a, you know, a Hebrew bookstore, you know, Jew, Judaica, you know, any of these farm uh, stores, you know? Notice the first thing that hits you is all the English stuff. That's the first thing, right? And it's translations, it's elucidations, it's like, you know, Likutim collections. It's astounding what's in English. This never happened before. And if you want to go for this farm, you've got to go to the back of the store. Notice? You know? Because... Because this is the proliferation of Chochmah. Because the Bosha wants everybody now to know, not only Torah, but what is changing. 
Remember I told you, there's Chaymer, the subject matter, right? But the Tzur is changing. The form of the Tzur is changing. Where it's now open and available to anybody that wants to learn. I mean, today you have Shas on tape. You know what I'm saying? You can learn Shas, just plug in the earphones, you know? It's, it's all on, uh, whatever they call it. You know, uh, you know, the whole Shas is on one CD, DVD, right? You can imagine you have a shear of Shas. You have the safe in front of you. It's like incredible. It's like unbelievable. Everybody should be able to be a glean today, which is not happening for another reason, which I'll talk later on. So, But anyway, that's the concept of the origin. Uh, but there's something else happening, which is interesting. Why is there a daf yoyimi? Anybody ever wonder? How come there is shoyimim, the achroyimim, right? Or the tanoim and amroyim? They never talked about daf yoyimi. What happened? I'll tell you what the concept of Daf Yomi, according to this whole understanding, you know. Because the problem is this, that before the Mashiach comes, there has to be tremendous darkness. Choshech, darkness, okay, before the Mashiach comes. Wow, it's late. Before the Mashiach comes, there has to be darkness. But the problem is, we know, how do you take Torah out of the Klippah? How do you take Torah out of its Tumah? You know how? Amelus. The problem is, if there's darkness before the Mashiach, that means nobody's learning. Because darkness means ignorance, amaratsis. So if nobody's learning, there's no amelus. There's no amelus, how does the old wish get out of the klipa? Enter. So what the Boshim did is amazing. He said, listen, the Messiah Snefesh, the amelus will not be so much annoying, because from Dafyoyme, you don't remember anything. In fact, Dafyomi is the only way a guy can say, I forgot the whole shas. <laughs> so what, what, Dafyomi has nothing to do with education, uh, you know. So then why is it being lauded as the Yeshua? I mean, you know, everybody's promoting Dafyomi. It has nothing to do with Chinuch education. Nobody remembers anything, you know. It's like you ask a guy, well, what do you remember about the seven and a half years you just learned the Dav? So the guy says, I don't remember much, but maybe the second time around I'll remember more. Well, that's another seven and a half years. I mean, is this an approach to education? But the idea is, the purpose of Dafyomi isn't to teach Christ with Torah. Uh, it's to allow them to be moist and nefesh, to get up at 5 a.m. to go to the Dafshia. Or a guy has to be to learn the Daf, and he always says, think about the Daf every day and so on and so forth, uh, to, learn it, to learn the Daf. It's the Messiah's nefesh, that's the Amelus. And the generation before the Mashiach, when there's incredible darkness, the Amelis can't come from the Torah itself, meaning learning the Torah, right? But it can come from the Limut with Messias Nefesh. Not knowing, it comes from the learning. But the learning where you really have to sacrifice an enormous amount of time and effort in order to keep up with Dafyomi. So that's why it was never recommended before, you see? Because this is not Chinuch. What does it have to do with education? You see? You want to know something? Learn! You know? But in the time before Mashiach, the Amelis can't be in learning, in knowing, because it's the Chushach Sohim and darkness on the face of the deep, right? Uh, that's Mamash before the Mashiach. Therefore, Dafyomi is critical in order for people to be able to omol in Limanat Torah and not knowing Torah. All of this, by the way, shows you that we are incredibly close to the Mashiach. Very, very close. Because you take a look at all this. Look at all the signs. One, we have Eretz Israel. The first time a nation got back their land in 2,000 years. Hebrew is spoken. 
Who ever heard of a language dead for 2,000 years? You know what I'm saying? And not only that, this Kibbutz Goliath, the exiles are returning to Eretz Yisrael. The Klippa, the, 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 the Umas Oilam cannot hold them anymore. You see, that's the beginning of Kibbutz Goliath and so on and so forth. Not only have you have dissemination ideas, you have what's called, uh, you know, the Mesifta, the ability to learn with much easier. Then you have the internet. The, the concept of the internet is global connectivity. Of course, the sun takes it over and tries to get everybody destroyed through the internet. But the real purpose of the internet is that through one internet, global connectivity, everybody could sit down and watch the Mashiach, give a shear in real time over the internet. That's what it's really for, you see. And it's wireless, which means you can sit in the middle of a desert and connect to the satellite and still watch the Mashiach. You see, all of this, it sounds funny, but that's what it's for. The internet is to allow one guy to get on it in real time and give a shit to, you know, seven billion people. That's really what it's for. You know, of course, the Sutton grabs a hold of it first because it's okay, let me take care of the world and so on. But that's the Sheikh of the Sutton. You see, that's the bribery to the Sutton, you know. And then you have wireless, you see. And then you have Israel is becoming an incredible economic power. Israel matches, Israel, there's more entrepreneurship in Israel than Europe, all of Europe combined. Uh, and it's in, Israel has become an economic powerhouse. All, that's the rise of Israel, which sets the, the, uh, the, uh, sets the stage for the Jews returning to Eretz Israel. Why? Yeah, yeah, because the last clip was the Erev Rav. When they go, then you know it's over. The Erev Rav is the, basically the government of Israel. They're trying to destroy Judaism. Yeah, they, they have to work with the Furman because they need their votes in the cabinet and all that stuff. It's all a charade. You know how you saw it was a charade when Lapid was in the government, how they all went against the Fruma, including the Likud. Everybody went against the Fruma. But when they need the Fruma, that's all of a sudden they become what? They become, uh, you know, devotees of religion? It's nonsense. That's the, because that's the concept of an Erevrav, to destroy the, the supremacy of Torah and Judaism song. Any case, so this is why it's happening with us. It's not the same as what's happening to the Goyim. These guys, it's not even close. But in order to understand that, that's why the next thing I have to talk about is how's it going to happen here and what's called, like I told you, you know, you notice now there's all preparations for the Mashiach. The real question is how is that, how is the Mashiach and Klaus were going to be rehabilitated with this type of speed in order to accept the Mashiach. So for that, we'll have to wait till the next Klaisel year. Klaus has to leave the Chayshach. Chayshach is around. Yeah. By the way, next week there's no Shia because it's Tisha B'Av. So we will resume in uh, two weeks. And I will then begin to talk about uh, uh, you know, Mashiach and so on and so forth. It's the exciting anticipation of Mashiach. So how are we supposed to be Masabu on Tisha how are we supposed to miss album? What do because, you mean? Because what you said, it's very exciting because it's almost here. So now we have to go be miss album next week. But it's it's up, up you know. Oh, so oh, yeah. Yeah. But wait a second. Look, Clinton looks like she's ahead in the polls. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Don't celebrate yet. Don't celebrate. The only thing you could say is the poll got fetched this week. That's poll what? The poll. What? He gave his two for Drusha. Why? You didn't hear the Drusha, all the guys were against him. Well, that was Drusha. He gave him Drusha. About what? It was his lotion that the reason why the ice and all these guys got it is because 
What did he say? He said he was very leftist when he was saying his things, and there were a lot of guys who were against it. I thought that you were you were in it. Okay. No. Okay. So what's your Trump? What, like Trump said, buried himself this yeah, week. Fifteen yeah. points. They gave him so much. All he had to do was close his mouth. Yeah. And, and, and what happened? What's that? That's the kick trick. Yeah. In two, I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'll go back to Trump in two weeks. Yeah. What, what I think is happening and so on. You know. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. You know, when Homan came out with his decree, when Homan came out with his decree, it looked really bad. I want to tell you something. It doesn't make a difference how it looks. The Bonsham, it's up to him what he wants to do. And I told you. Either he's going to retire Esau, Edoin, that's what it's all about, which I'll talk about in two weeks, or he's going to destroy America. Because Hillary will destroy America. Mm, sure. You know how? It's not going to be scary. Cl- that's the way it looks right now. Well, yeah, but you don't. It's not Hillary. It's a, it's Edom. It's Aesop. It's America, which is on the it's on the line. I'll talk about it in two weeks. But you should know if she gets in, it's over for America. Why? First of all, she's a crook. She's a criminal. Emails. It's criminal what she did, and so on. She's a crook with her foundation. She's incompetent. I mean, everything, the foreign policy is a disaster, and so on and so forth. And she's incompetent. She's a woman that's not a clue as to how to govern, you know. And she's a liar. All five major virtues of Clinton. But that's not how she'll destroy America. She'll destroy it in another way. You know how? I'll tell you now. Who? One of the most dangerous institutions in America. One of the most dangerous institutions in America is the Supreme Court. There are two positions available. Right now, the court is balanced between left, <coughs> radical judges, and right, conservative, four and four. Scalia died, and he was a tremendous conservative. Okay, If she appoints one left, radical, and if she appoints two, it's over for America. Because the Supreme Court, with a leftist agenda, will destroy the morality and the ethics of America. You don't realize that. They already did this. They already, did, they already, they already took America and made it Chayv Misa. Because they interpreted the Constitution that homosexuality is permitted. You can't discriminate against these guys anymore, right? And not only that, same gender marriage and so on and so forth. What is it? What do you mean? God destroyed the world because of this. The marble. And I mentioned the concept of uh, New Orleans was destroyed because of Southern De- Decadence Day. You, they're playing out with fire. It's the Supreme Court that can destroy America. Everybody forgets about that. Uh, so I'm, I, what the, people don't realize something it, because people are stupid. If you put her in, forget about. I don't care what you have against Trump. Whatever uh, you know, and, and so so uh, and so on and so forth. You know? But at least Trump is not going to appoint liberals and radicals on the Supreme Court because that will destroy America. They will interpret everything as unethical and immoral, and they will destroy America. That's the problem with Hillary. You see, besides the fact that she'll destroy America on her own, but it's the Supreme Court. They will interpret everything. Uh, what he called uh, 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 against morality and, and ethics and so on with the radical it does I, 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 I would tell you something the yeah exactly this I don't care I want to tell you something but they set him up he's a excuse me I told you he's a Muslim operative excuse me listen excuse me 
It's irrelevant. Don't be fooled. It's irrelevant what he's doing. It's up to God what he wants. Mm -hmm. If he wants to destroy America, Hillary is his man, woman. If he, wa if he wants to purify America, which I believe he wants to, okay, and I'll tell you why in two weeks, he will win. It doesn't make any difference how bad it looks out there. Because I'll tell you, in one fell swoop, he can change it. How? All you need is a new revelation of new emails that Hillary did. That's all you need. Right? And, uh, and I think WikiLeaks is about to pounce on her right, with, with a whole 20,000 new emails and so on. Or, hopefully it won't happen, One a hundred people can die in America by some terrorist act, and everybody's going to wake up and say, excuse me, you know, uh, she's not going to protect America. He is. We need him. I don't care who he is or what he is. I'd rather live and have him than drop dead and have her. And that's all. It doesn't take much to... America's, America is very foolish. It's very easy to sway them. They're fickle, incredibly fickle. So all you have to do is them to just unleash any of this, and, and it's over for Hillary. At the right moment, of course. So don't worry about this. Like I told you, the worry about Hillary isn't Hillary, it's the end of America. That's what it is. The Supreme Court will destroy America. You won't even be able to breathe in America with, it, with, with the Supreme Court coming after you. She's going to take away the Second Amendment, the Gun Amendment. You know, she's going to try to do everything to destroy America. She's going to be terrible for Israel. She's going to want the two-state solution all over again. She's going to force Israel to back off. And uh, the Arab step is right. She's going to work with Iran. Why? Because it's another Obama. It's Obama's third term. She's going to do everything for, against Israel. And, and so it'll be, you know, it'll be terrible for American economy. She will destroy this country. And she she and the Supreme Court. And if she does look to a husband, what? then it's over. Well, if she's because the problem is this, people think, okay, here's what conservatives make a mistake. All right, we don't want Trump, Republicans, right? We don't want Trump. You know what we'll do? You know, we don't want Trump, so we're gonna. Okay, say Hillary will win for four years. Excuse me, what four years? In those four years, she will change the character of the Supreme Court. In those four years, you can't undo that because these guys keep doing, keep, keep judging until they're 89. You know, she will destroy America for generations. Mm -hmm. You can't even undo her, de her, yeah, her, her treachery and her betrayal of conservative values. What? Who? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why Trump. That's why Trump can save America. Yeah. For this week? Is it this week? Yeah. He's under a lot of pressure. Wait, he also caved into Obama? He didn't want to endorse uh, Trump. I mean, it was ridiculous. So uh, what I would say is, uh, you know, wow. I'd say don't worry about this election. It's not the Trump or Hillary isn't the subject matter. That's not what it is. What does the Russian going to do to Edom? Is he going to allow it to retire a Tahara, which I believe he will, okay? Which means he's going to be pure for Edom. And I told you why. To help Israel, because Israel has to survive the onslaught of Yishmael. I gave that a whole shit on that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so on. So therefore, you need America. 
and I'll talk about why America is critical to save Israel and so on, you know. Or he will destroy America. If he destroys Edom, it's over with. So the, then who will, or then something else has to happen for Israel to be able to stand up against Iran. Then the world will take a different direction, you know. And uh, actually, I have a way to save him. I think I have the way to get Trump in and save America. I figured it out. In two weeks, I will tell you. Oh, okay. And I have a proof from the Torah. It's possible to save America and possible to become America. And I found the biblical answer how to do it. And it's astounding. When you look at the parallels, it's incredible. And this can, I hold this, can, this is more powerful than any of Trump's advertisements, his tweeting. I don't care what he does. This stuff will put him out. And we are doing it in two weeks. And I will tell you what is in two weeks. What's that? Oh yeah, I I would like to start at ten o'clock because it's 12, it's quarter after twelve, which is insane. I've been talking two hours already, you know, and I'm not even paid for this. Uh, I'd like to start in two weeks at ten o'clock. Yes, but I got to start because I got another two hours to go. I mean, more. I got four or five hours to build. Anyway, but in two weeks, you'll know how to save Trump, how to save America. Well, he knows.